Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the podcast based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guide. This is the ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 76 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ Payne here. This week, I sit down with Matthew Jacoby, your friend and mine, and we go through Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. After last week's introduction to this book of beginnings, we go a little bit deeper into some of the themes and some of the patterns that we are getting set up with here in the book of Genesis. I hope you're able to follow along in our brand new edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. I'm going to be talking to you in just a little while about how to get your own copies of that and some of the other special offers we have over at thrivetoday.net. So keep on listening for that. But right now, let's pull out your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 2, get that Thrive Daily Reading Guide, that pen, and let's sit down together and go through this book of beginnings on Thrive Deeper. Matt, you've been all over Europe. Mm. You've seen all the sites. Mm. With the family, I want one takeaway that when you cl- the first thing that comes to mind now when I go most special time with you and your family in Europe, the first thing that comes to mind. My favourite moment was in Assisi. We took the train from Rome to a little town called Assisi, associated with Francis of Assisi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we walked from the train station. It was about. 45 minute walk through the fields we wound up through these you know ancient streets up to the basilica of saint francis and it's got some beautiful frescoes in there by a very important artist called giotto Mm. uh, who was inspired by the life of saint francis and paints these very human pictures of jesus of course um, St. Francis be- he chose this way of life. He gave up wealth and he lived amongst the poor and he preached the gospel to the poor. And they say that St. Francis brought Jesus back to the people, you know, mm. showed the humility, you know, reflected the humility of Jesus. You can see that reflected in the art because uh, whereas previous art you have this exalted Jesus, untouchable, you start getting these elements of a more fleshy Jesus. You see the suffering of Jesus in the in the artwork, for really for the first time, mm. uh, in, in there in Giotto, and um, so it was great to see that Im- really important moment in history and to reflect on Saint Francis. They've got his coat there, Saint Francis's robe, and and then we walked up to the. Um, so there's a castle up on the hill. My son loves a castle. Uh, so it sort of have, had everything, you know. Kate and I could enjoy the basilica and the art and the history. And we had a castle for my son. And the, yeah. ki- the girls were loving the uh, just the beautiful town and the environment yeah. and the classic little Tuscan uh, village right. on the hill. Okay, enough of that. All right, you're making me jealous. All right, okay, now I've got to wrap, wrap it, round it up. You've come back home to Australia. You've come back to Geelong. Well, that was ages ago from when this is being listened to. I know. Yeah. So you've come back. What did you come back and you were in Australia? You come back home and you went, oh, yes, I'm home. What Was was there anything in particular that you went, I'm in Australia, this is my home, I'm Australian? Um, uh, uh, the The... It's pretty hectic traveling with three kids. <laughs> so, 
So it was a big sigh of relief to yeah. just get back to normal life. And Routine. We've ta- you know, we've been talking about order. Yes. Uh, and there's a certain chaos, you know, when you Intra- interrupt your yeah. normal rhythm of life uh, and and you, you're catching trains and, cra- you know, in the crowds and all sorts of things. So it is nice to be back and in yeah. the normal rhythm of life. Get back into the routine, mm. back into the rhythm. Well, part of that rhythm is... Us going through the book of Genesis, we have got a brand new edition of Thrive for November. And uh, if you've got the yellow edition there, thank you so much in supporting us and getting the physical copy of Thrive and reading it through with us. We're going to attempt, I'm going to say attempt, you you have a strong belief today that we can get through both chapters two and three of Genesis. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to follow your lead in that. <clears throat> we, we looked at some of the major patterns and themes. Mm. And, and Genesis is, in my, in my mind, Genesis is all about patterns and yeah. themes, setting up for yeah. the rest of the Bible, setting up for the rest of creation and our lives today. Genesis two seems to be. I've had I've had someone level a you know few criticisms to me around Genesis two. Okay. Number one saying you know there's and we'll get into a few of them, but one of them saying, "Hang on, is this a different?" version of this creation myth that you guys believe? Mm. Didn't we just read that in chapter one? Have you got two accounts mm. of it? What's going on? Yeah, well, they're they're complementary, and um, and they, they, there are there are some differences, but they're not conflicting differences. I mean, even where, uh, I mean, there there is a possibility of a slightly different order here, but remember in scripture, and this happens in the gospel in the gospels in the gospels, there's a theological order. I mean, yeah. different gospel writers who knew of each other, mm. nevertheless ordered the event slightly differently for a different theological purpose yeah. to highlight something. And um, and you get a you get a slightly different sort of order here in Genesis chapter two. I mean that can be it's not difficult to resolve that. I mean I'm not going to get right into that now. Mm. Um, but the the text in Genesis chapter two is meant to highlight uh, something about mankind and the role of mankind in the midst of creation. And of course the relationship between the man and the woman becomes important in this chapter as well. This uh, this zooms in, what this chapter is zooming in now uh, on the creation yes. of mankind. So we've heard about the creation of everything yes. and about the position of mankind within that creation, Genesis mm. chapter 1. Mm. This now zooms into mankind and uh, it's it's a more intimate, a portrait of mankind. Yes. You know, I mentioned in the last episode, you know, we find Adam naming the animals. So, okay, so Adam looks like the gardener in the garden. He's maintaining God's order. Mm-hmm. God places him in the garden. He's going to bring out the, uh, you know, he's going to uh, bring out the best in that uh, through his cultivation. The garden is going to come to its full fruition. Yes. So so there's something for mankind to do mm-hmm. here. It, it's like God has created the earth and it's very good, but there's there's still there's still work to be done mm. and that's delegated to mankind. Mankind mm-hmm. is there to bring out the best in creation. He's like the gardener in the garden, you know. So um uh, so this uh, this is going this is sort of sets us up for chapter 3 in which mankind abdicates his responsibility. And uh, uh, so Genesis chapter two is setting up for that. It in 
sets up the two trees here in yeah. the garden. It's very important, the centerpiece. That is, of this is two. this is one of the weirdest things. Like as we come into it, I and mean, there's a few weird things that we'll get into in Genesis, but again, it's all about for me. It's about patterns and themes, and I love the idea of zooming in. It's almost visually as I read it, it's almost yeah. like a movie zooming in. You get this wide angle of the earth, and then it talks about rivers and gardens, yeah. and, and you know, it gives you location, a yeah. sense of place, yeah. and it zooms in closer and closer. You know, the river was doing this and then finally we get to Eden we get to this place yeah. where we got is like okay this is man's home for now yeah. we've we're doing that and in the center of the garden of eden is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and yeah. evil mm. okay first question were they real trees matt yeah, I mean that's the question. Are they real trees, or is this is, is this just a symbolic kind of scenario? Yeah. In other words, is this like myth? Does mm. this operate like myth? It's like we've just got symbols here, but it, it refers to something bigger uh, than itself. Well, it does refer to something bigger than itself, but it's not a myth because it's very like God to do these sorts of things. Now we mm. see from later scriptures that God uses symbols that point beyond themselves, Amen. and sets up. Um, decision-making scenarios, like sac- sacramental kind of scenarios, mm-hmm. and we see this in the temple, um, that uh, through which God imparts things to people. So through the tree of life, God would impart immortality to human beings. It's interesting to note that they're not that they weren't they they were immortal, and immortality is a gift. It's conditional. Uh, Immortality, and that was communicated to them through the trees. So the the, the trees have this sacramental kind yeah. of association, and yeah. and and as I said, um, you know, we see like the temple later. Mm. That's a symbol, yeah. but it's also real. Yeah, I mean, we use the symbol of the 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 the, the cup and the, the the bread and the cup, and exactly, and it's a symbol through which God uh, enacts something in relation to His people. Yeah, and I, so. The fact that there are two trees in the garden and, and God is uh, using these trees to um, impart and uh, and enact something in relation to his people and is it, not unusual. And often, I mean, there's, you know, obviously volumes and volumes of art and books and everything devoted mm. to this. What these two trees symbolize in our universe, you know, mm. and it sort of sums up the human condition in one <laughs> sense or our mm. desire, our deepest heart in one sense. We desire to live forever and we desire to have knowledge of good and evil. It's the, Mm. you know, the good and, you know, like good and evil and living forever. You know, these Mm. two big, you know, the two big things that God knew was going to be very important to us. He sets up in in this motif in the the beginning there and gives Adam instructions from day one. Mm. Well, the tree of life, that's fairly straightforward in terms of what that is, that in part, you know, this is the... The mechanism through which God imparts—it's as I said—has this possibly this sacramental yeah. element to it. But what about the tree of the knowledge of uh, good and evil? What 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 is this knowledge uh, of good and evil? Now, obviously, there's a whole lot of discussion uh, about this. Um, I don't think we can say that the tree itself is evil. So there's nothing wrong with the tree. No. Uh, John Walton actually even makes the point in his commentary on this that this this may not be something that God always wanted his people not to have. It's just uh, that that perhaps this wasn't for them at this time or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, yeah. There's a uh, And he has uh, reasons uh, uh, for that, and, and his argument is interesting. 
but the, the, the knowledge of good and evil, uh, and, and particularly in, in Jewish thought and in biblical thought, seems to have this uh, connection with innocence. There's this state of innocence in which you... Um, it's like a child, childlike kind of innocence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where you, you, you're not aware of evil and depravity and, or in some sense, you know, you, yeah. you, you, you have this direct intuitive uh, connection with what is right and mm-hmm. what is good and what is just. Mm-hmm. But you're not standing outside of that. You know, you're just, that's just who you are. That's part of the wonderful thing about the innocence of childhood, although children aren't necessarily always innocent, are they? Yeah. But, you know, we speak about the innocence of children and the, the sort of purity of, of, uh, of children. I think, I think it's drawing on that kind of idea mm. that, um, that they become aware through this. Uh, it's like this, almost this godlike perspective they, it gives them the ability to sort of stand outside that. So the knowledge of good and evil, to me, uh, and, and from what I've read, the, the, sort of the, the best of what I've read would indicate that this is a kind of godlike knowledge, yeah. knowledge that is God's prerogative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to eat from the tree of the knowledge good of evil is to reach into God's prerogative. It's like he's saying, this is for you. I've... And one of the things that Genesis chapter 2 does is show how God so generously provides for his people and gives them the tree of life so mm. that they would live forever, you know. Mm. Mm. But just don't touch this. this. I'm putting a boundary here. Just don't touch that. Was, this uh, represents what is for me alone. Uh, yeah. And um, as I said, I'm, I'm not, sh- uh, not sure about John Walton's uh, what 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 about there, what about uh, I've heard someone uh, once speak and I've uh, uh, probably a couple of people over the years that there was nothing like magical in and of of the fruit itself the fact that God had said no to this plant no to this tree yeah. that you know and 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 section it off that in and of itself was a test of of, of yeah, obedience right. yeah. and in 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 going across that pathway it broke that innocence, that innocent yeah. mindset, you did. But the only problem with that yeah. view is, well, then why did God say, "Well, you better get them out of the garden, or else they eat the tree of life"? And then they will live forever. But you know, if there, it wasn't anything like innately—I hate to use this word—magical in the fruit itself. Why yeah. would He stop them from eating the, you know, the tree of life then again? So, yeah, it's a difficult question because we don't really know, do we? We no. don't know if there was something about the fruit itself. Mm. All we know is that God told them not to eat of that tree. Um, uh, but I think I think the best answer to that is to see that sacramental significance in this. That this, in a sacramental sense, God wanted to give them the opportunity yeah. to, uh, you know, to. Well, I mean, it sounds bad, doesn't it? But to reject Him in a sense, because yeah. God wanted them to be His children and to love Him. And With in order to love God, we need to have yeah. the opportunity. The the, the choice to do the opposite. Yes. So this is setting up a decision. Are you willing to take this position of worship? Are you willing to uh, love me and to do what I say? Here, t- here, the two trees are here. This represents abundance, eternal life. This represents what belongs to me alone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put this uh, in the garden. 
um, again, to it, make the decision, make your decision clear. The themes and the patterns are so strong here for yeah. setting up for the rest of mankind what yeah. God is saying here. Then the other massive theme and pattern here that I believe is so strong and especially needed in our day and age is that God then tells us the very special story about Adam and Eve, the creation of Eve, yeah. the creation of Adam's, you know, uh, helper. In one translation, yeah. you know, talk, you know the Adam's wife yeah. that we have here, and it's a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful heart heart rendering story of God creating Adam. Sorry, God creating Eve from Adam's side, from Adam's yeah. rib. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it, it is as long as we read it in the right way, and mm. and I think unfortunately this uh, the beauty, as you say, of this these verses have been eclipsed by. Um, a reading of this that uh, I think is through the lens of a sort of a modern concern about mm. the equality of the genders and uh, and a concern that this is making the woman sort of subservient to or lesser somehow. But that's than, not than in the man. that's not in the text. Well, uh, it's not in the text. In fact, the text is doing exactly the opposite. Amen. So Amen. it's actually a really bad reading of the text that has this inequality. Now, I mean, the interesting thing here is that being taken out of man's side um, is meant to uh, distinguish Eve from just other animals or other... It's, it's, it's actually meant to indicate this equality. Mm. In fact, in one reading of it, uh, the... Um, and again, I refer to, to John Walton, uh, who's a very interesting uh, author and uh, commentator on, on Old Testament, Um at times, I think uh, Walton is a little too creative, but I, I think he 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 uh, he makes some interesting points. I mean, look, one, one, I mean, his take on Genesis chapter two is this is subsequent to Genesis chapter one in in the sense that Genesis chapter one and the sixth day is he says is a is a man humanity in yes. general, yes. and then you zoom into two individuals in Genesis chapter two. Yeah, and I mean he, you know, he's got some strong reasons for that. I'm still not sure about that. He he then sees uh, these two. So he sees these two individuals as having this priestly kind of role in a in a sort of a sacred space, and they represent all of humanity. So they're archetypal human beings, um, and they represent all of humanity. Uh, so that that in its that's an interesting uh, view uh, in itself. He's, he's an evangelical scholar. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. uh, um, but the other interesting thing uh, is that he sees Adam being put to sleep. He says, you know, we automatically interpret that as uh, anesthesia, but that's a modern kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He says, whenever God puts someone to sleep in the Old Testament, indicates they're going to have a vision, oh. and so because he talks about because the actual word because we think about often uh, the well-known thing is that. God takes a rib yes. from Adam's side. But actually, it's the word there is just side. Yeah. Um, in fact, the word is used in other places. In, in, it's an architectural word that, that refers to one, si- one half of mm. a whole. Mm. It's mm. like one side of two sides. You yes. know? So uh, he interprets this as basically Adam has this vision where he is split in half. God takes one half and, and it's like where, where the woman is one half of a whole. Mm. And mm. so there is this vision uh, that he has. Now, I mean, I think in any case, however you read this, e- even if we do read this as God puts Adam to sleep and he takes, um, and it's actually, in any case, it's not just a rib. 
It's yes. like a handful of flesh. The idea is more yeah. takes a handful of flesh out of Adam's yeah. side and creates the woman out of it. It is meant to create, it's out of his side. Mm. It's meant to create a sense. In the literary world of that yes. day, it indicates yes. absolute equality. Yes. And and in this, this is actually, in this sense, quite counter-cultural. A lot of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is correcting uh, ancient Near Eastern beliefs. So yep. mankind is God's children uh, rather than the lowly servants of God. That already is a stunning aspect mm-hmm. of, uh, of creation, that mankind isn't just the lowly servants of God, but, you know, the children of God. Yes. But neither is... Woman, the lowly servant of man, woman is created equal and she is created to be his helper. Now, that sounds to some people like uh, a lowly servant, a lesser lowly servant. But actually, the word that is used there is the same word that is used when the Bible talks about God being our helper. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to be interpreting that as somehow lesser or uh, uh, it's it, it is um, uh, this sense... Um, feeds into this sense that Adam is incomplete uh, yes. without without the woman, that there is this, what is set up here is this situation of mutual dependence uh, where Adam has this uh, dependence on the woman as his help in the same way that uh, the, the Bible says, the Lord is my help. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's quite a, a lofty term. It has a lot of dignity associated with it, not uh, what I think uh, perhaps uh, is often read into it through yes. a slightly. Um, well, and we, and we get it very clearly yeah. from Adam's own own statement that 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 you know piece of poetry, that song yeah. almost that Adam sings when he sees her for the first time. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a statement of yeah, equality. Right. Yeah. It's a statement of this is this is the one. This is. You know the yeah. other part of me. Yeah, I think as I said, there's this sort of paranoid lens that we can read this through that that uh, is just very skewed. So th- this in itself, uh, I think it's a wonderful statement of of the mutual dependence uh, of the sexes. This has already uh, been a theme in in on the sixth day in Genesis chapter one, of course, because uh, God created the male and female, and, and it's it's together. It's quite explicit that uh, in the image of God, He created them. them. So it's like their togetherness mm, mm. is an expression of God's image, and 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 interestingly, the other pattern that we saw in Genesis chapter one is that seven times it says, "And God saw that it was good." The seventh time, of course, on the sixth day, it says that God saw that it was very good. Um, and here is the first time we have the text saying that something wasn't good for the first time. And what does it say? It says. It is not good for man to be alone. Mm. Uh, so that's the, in the light of all of the and God saw that it was good. God looks at the man alone and says, "Yeah, it's not. That's not good." Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna remedy that. And that was that. Is that is that? Okay. I mean, there's so much different things we could say about that. But I think uh, as we wrap up chapter two, we get two big. You know, we get a few few big themes here. We get these two trees. Mm-hmm. You know, tree of life, the knowledge of good and evil, and we get the creation mm. of Adam and Eve. As equal partners, united one flesh. It even ends up with you know, uh, with the last two verses. Mm. You know, th- this is the reason why man leaves his mother, united to his wife. They become one flesh. It's almost reflecting on the fact that they came from one flesh mm. to begin with. Adam and his wife were both make- naked. They felt no shame. We leave them in the garden there at the end of chapter two. Is there another? As we take about to take a break, is there another takeaway that you ca- have from anything else that we need to keep in mind from chapter two? 
Well, um, all of this is is a further expression of God's order. So I just want to, as we move into chapter three, yeah. everything is beautifully ordered here. There's an equality between mm. the man and the woman; they're two halves of the whole. Uh, man's pl- mankind's place uh, in uh, in creation is set up. There is also this sense too in this chapter that uh, that. There is, and I know this is countercultural, but there is also this. There is this sense of headship, uh, not in the sense that man is the is the king of the family unit, but more like the priest is the, like he, he is, uh, because when in chapter three God calls the man and the woman to account, he goes to the man, "What have you done?" Yes, uh, even you know, even though the, the the woman's very active in that. So, so th- there is this kind of there is this order. Um, Equality is taken as given here, yes. um, but uh, in the sense of. E- but the- there are these roles. There are these roles well, set down, word. and uh, and so the ro- the, the um, there is this. The man and the woman have authority over the animals. Now we're going to see that in the next chapter flipped on its head. So just keep this idea of order. There is a beautiful harmony to this. This harmony between man and God in the garden, this harmony in the garden because man is tending the garden, uh, so this harmony in his environment. Then we have harmony between the man and the woman. It's harmony, 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 order, order, order. That sets us up for the next chapter. G'day family, it's DJ Payne here and I just wanted to let you all know for everyone who's been sending us questions via our website at thrivetoday.net.au we've been getting questions coming in and we will be getting to them very shortly. Give us a couple of episodes as Matthew and I get our footing after he's been back from Europe and your questions will be answered. I'm going to say about episode 78, 79, we might get to them around there. But keep them coming, keep them coming at thrivetoday.net.au You'll see an easy button there to ask us a question. While you're there, you also can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, both the physical copy and the digital copy. Also, you can see some of our special offers about being involved in our prison ministry and also getting the Thrive Daily Reading Guide into your church or group. We would love to talk to you. All you need to do is head over to thrivetoday.net.au. It's all found right there. We've got some great stuff happening in the next few weeks, so we'd love you to go over there, bookmark the site, and make sure you visit it regularly to see what's going on. All right, enough from me. Let's get back into the book of Genesis with this episode 76 of Thrive Deeper. Drive Deeper, episode 76. It's DJ and Matt here with you. 
we are going through the foundational books of Genesis. We're looking at the very foundation of everything to do with our life, the universe, our God, what sets us up for who we are today. And last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1. We saw the bigger pictures there, the big themes there. This last half of the episode, we've just finished looking at Genesis 2. Matt, we left Adam and Eve mm. perfectly happy in the garden. Yeah. They are, there is order. There is mm. happiness. There is equality. Mm. There is beauty. Man is yeah. doing the task that God had set yeah. him to. There seems to be perfect end of the story. Close the book. Yeah, that'd be a good time to close the book. <laughs> um but we live in a world that's full of chaos, and how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Genesis chapter 3 explains how that happened. Um, now, uh, what we see in the events of Genesis chapter 3 is an inversion of God's order, and that, that's the whole point uh, of this. So the fact that uh, that Satan, who is uh, active, I mean, we, uh, we understand that now in the light of the fuller revelation of Scripture, mm-hmm that we have Satan taking the form of a serpent. Mm. This is important because the serpent is seen as the lowest of all of the creatures. Yes. Um, and and to because what Satan is going to do is bring about an inversion of God's order. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what he's going to do is he's going to take the form of a serpent. He's going to... Uh, tempt the woman who's going to, uh, with the fruit, is going to give the fruit to the man who's going. You know, so so there is this, uh, there is this uh, from the from the downside of up. God's order and a return to chaos is going yep. to ensue uh, from this. Now, how was God's order brought about? It was through God's speaking and God said, and so it's through God's word, God's speaking, that order is brought about. And here it's through the questioning, it's through the distortion of mm. God's word that the disorder is brought about. Yeah. So um, the serpent turns up in the garden. We don't know. Uh, you know, I love the fact, you know, John Milton's very famous poem, Paradise Lost, uh, sets about answering all of the questions about where, where did Satan come from? How did he get there? Um and has created more sort of uh, myth around this, I think, unfortunately. Uh, we just don't know the mm. background to, uh, to this. Mm. Um, and, but there is, a, but again, I want to I just stop and park here for a second. I know there's a lot to be said, yeah. including when, it, when we're talking about the meta narratives, the themes, the patterns, and everything here. Satan's introduction into this, into this universe, yeah. again, no backstory, just mm. here he is. He's taken the form of a serpent, a serpent that is a yeah. throughout all of history has been recognized as some sort of mm. agent of chaos, yeah. you know, an agent of this. For for a lot of people, for a lot of people, I can think of um one one singer songwriter that I know uh, you know, very well, um you know, uh, who who grew up a Christian, pastor's son. Singing, uh, you know, from in Christian bands and everything, mm. and you know, married has a child and is telling the child the Bible stories. And when he came to chapter three, the beginning of chapter three, mm. reading the story again in fresh ears, he went, "Hang on, what do I believe? Mm. This is unbelievable. This is a if any other religion came to me and told me that there was a talking snake in a tree that gave a woman a piece of fruit, and that's why we have chaos, I would laugh them out of the room." And it shot, it rocked his faith. It, mm. it, it, it really rocked his faith. I've heard other people mock this yeah. same, the same, the same part of the story. 
All right. What do we what do we do with this? Well, I think that's a pity because this is uh, enormously theologically rich mm. chapter. I mean, mm. it's so rich. Now, there's a sense in which it's a very condensed piece of narrative. Mm-hmm. As I said, we're, we're just told in real outline form. I mean, it looks a little naive in the way that it's told. Now, I mean, remember, of course, this is uh, a story that is told in terms that are familiar to ancient Near Eastern uh, readers uh, that makes sense within their thought world. That doesn't make it untrue, mm. but it's also very condensed. It's like, I mean, the example that I've used sometimes is, you know, when my uh, when my daughter uh, at, at the age of four or something asked me how, you know, how did I, like, how, how was I made? How, how did you know how a baby's made? Question. <laughs> I mean, mm. how do you explain that yeah. to a four year old? My answer was, well, God put you in mummy's tummy so that we mm. could look after you until you go back to God. Yeah. Now, did I lie? Was I was that untrue? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, but no, it, it, it's true. I, I told her what I wanted her to know the most, mm. um, and of course, there's a whole lot more to it than that. But I, I'm giving her, I'm giving her something that she can, you know, she can understand. Um, <clears throat> now, that also makes this story, I think, uh, that gives it this timeless sort of element. Now, this doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Okay, it's not just a description, a sort of a mythological no. description of, of um, you know, what happens in the process of temptation, mm. because it had to happen to someone somewhere, sometime, mm. Mm. and it so happened that in order to bring about this inversion, um, uh, that Satan worked in this particular way. Now, um, if you believe that there is no supernatural element to the universe, if you're complete, you know, if you're just hold to a materialistic worldview uh, that only believes in natural processes, then this kind of thing is impossible. Mm. But if you believe that there is a spiritual realm and there is such a fallen angel as Satan, and that's what Satan is, and if you believe that he can do things like this, and that, well, I, I don't. I don't really yeah. see a problem here. This doesn't, you know, it depends what story or what worldview you yes. start with. Okay? Yes. And often I think we can look at this through the wrong worldview. But when we look at this through um, a biblical worldview, and I know there's a sense, a um, certain circularity to this, but that's inevit- inevitable. Yeah. There's circularity to the other options, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. But looking at this through a biblical worldview, this makes sense. In fact, this fits beautifully within the worldview. Um, and in fact, what is happening here, um, this is the perfect thing if Satan is going to invert God's order. It's the perfect thing for yeah. Satan to do. Okay, so he comes, and in that inversion, we've said we've yep. taken the lowliest, as the Bible calls it, depending on the uh, the translation, you know, crafty of any of the wild animals. Yep. Don't know exactly what that means. But he comes to Eve, Eve... In whether it's innocence or just the natural order of things or whatever, she accepts a talking yeah. snake, you know. Yeah. And and Satan says to her, you know, did God really say you must not eat? So immediately beginning the process yeah. of questioning, yeah, what how yeah. God establishes order, yeah, he's bringing he's introducing chaos back into it, and we see that his motivation for doing that. In the this is the beginning of understanding yeah. the motivation, and it's interesting because he doesn't outright question what God says. Mm-hmm. What we see the serpent doing is that 
he questions whether God, what God said will be so. Now, remember the repetition in, uh, and God said, and it was so, and mm. God said, and it was so. Mm. So did God really say this? And she says, um, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, the interesting thing, that's a little bit garbled, actually. That isn't She's actually not quite got that right. No, yeah. no we didn't. We, in Genesis two, we didn't hear anything about touching it. Yeah, that's right. You know, so that's he, so Satan's going to exploit that little misunderstanding. So already, um, you know, uh, already there's a little bit of a problem here. Uh, and then what the serpent does is that he questions the link between and God said and it was so. Now this is so important in Scripture because Scripture is structured around God speaking and then fulfilling His word. Mm. The whole Bible mm. is about. God says, and then God fulfills. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, and that's set up in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. Now, uh, here, uh, God says, and the serpent says, it's not going to be so. Yeah. Uh, now, that's the nature of, uh, of it. so first of all, questioning God's word, but then questioning God's motives, that God knows that when you eat of this, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. So it's a very um, it's a very cunning uh, temptation, and essentially, see, because it's interesting in the thought world uh, of these of ancient times, and in their beliefs about the gods, the gods were um, always vying with each other uh, for greatness, mm-hmm. and. Mankind was sort of put in his place. You are not allowed to be. You're the, just the lowly servants of God. You're not like God. Now, the interesting thing about Genesis chapter 1 is that man is created in the image of God, mm-hmm. in the likeness of God. So he's already like God. But uh, so what Satan is really doing in, in a way here is, but God knows that if you eat this tree, you'll be like him. So he's just, he is making the sovereign God to be like one of these false gods. Yeah. You know, he's basically casting him in the in the sort of character in in the with the character yeah. of these gods who have this jealousy for who they are and I'm not going to let you step in my place. Yeah. It's really interesting. And he, what and happens he, here. And and Satan mixing truth with a lie. Yeah. Like he because he tells the truth. He yeah. tells the truth. God knows that when you eat it, yeah. your eyes will be opened yeah. and you will see like God says, yeah. you will know good from evil. That's true. Yeah. We are told in the next ver- in the next couple of verses. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. But the lie is, you're not going to die. Yeah. You're not going to die right yeah, now. Yeah. That's right. You know, it's yeah, not yeah. going to happen. That's today. right. So it, it's it's very slight. Oh. I mean, I, I was listening to a G.K. Chesterton um, book um, as I went for a run this morning, and I, this classic statement. He said, "You know, there was never was there a greater lie than that which is." Closest to the truth, yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's so yeah. it's so dangerous yeah. because it's so got so close. much truth in it, yes. you know, and there's so much power in the truth, mm. but you just defile it with a little bit of lie, and then and and it, it it's a pill that then she she's going to swallow, and uh, but it does this kind of damage. Um, one of the questions here is where is Adam yeah. uh, during all of this? Is he sleeping again? Yeah. What's he doing? Um, well, uh, uh, it. It says uh, here that um, that she took the fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. 
All right. Now this, see, again, in the ancient mind, uh, this is problem. Well, in a biblical kind of uh, thought world, in the right kind of biblical, this is a problem because why isn't Adam taking some responsibility here? Yeah. You know, as like the priestly kind of presence in the family, uh, this is where there's this inversion, right? The, the, The serpent tempts the woman and... And the, but, but also exploits these roles, you know, because um, uh, Adam knows, see, Adam had named all of the creatures. Yeah. It says at the beginning of chapter three that the serpent was more crafty than any of the, now Adam knew, that, see, naming something yes. uh, is not just an arbitrary thing. No. It, it's in, in the Hebrew thought world, it, there's a certain element of insight into the nature of a thing. Yeah. It's, the name is, is an indication of the nature of a thing. So Adam, Adam kind of knows this, but where is he? See, Eve wasn't there when Adam named the mm-hmm. animals. Mm-hmm. So there's this, there is this kind of responsibility here that Adam has that he doesn't step up to. Yeah. So a lot of this chapter is about the abdication of responsibility, Fantastic. and that's going to become explicit. Uh, in As a we move on, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we, we we know the story. They eat it. I mean, we get a pattern there of what temptation and sin is like. You know, the woman saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, desirable gaining wisdom. She ate it. She passed it on, and immediately their eyes were opened. They hid. They realized they were naked. They realized they had sinned. Mm. And they're hiding themselves. And then yeah. we get this beautiful picture that, you know, God just comes down for his afternoon stroll like mm. he does, yeah, <laughs> you know, with his kids in the yeah. garden there, like he does every day. Yeah. And he says, where are you? Yeah. Where are you? And and then Adam finally, finally steps up, yeah. you know, to, to, to that role that he's been called to. Yeah. And he's like, uh, you know, I was afraid. I hid. Which is such a tragedy. I mean, because f- first of all, uh, that statement about God walking in the garden in the cool mm. of the day. Now, it says often of godly people, like it says of Enoch and it says of Noah, and they walked with God. The idea of God walking is here is an indica- is a kind of an invitation to this fellowship. Mm. Uh, he, he's walking in the garden, but this time it seems as though it's like, where is Adam? Uh, this is what God wants to walk with Adam as... Yeah. Enoch walked with God as Noah walked with God, mm. but he's hiding. Now he's afraid. He's afraid of God, like the wrong kind of uh, Fear. afraid. He's ashamed uh, of God, and and he's uh, he's hiding in his shame. And this is, I think, this just sums up the the sort of human propensity uh, to hide from. We, we we're in a state of sort of hiding ourselves from God. Often we mm. feel like God's very far away and we think God's hiding from us. Invariably, it's we who hide from God. This just sums up this uh, this scenario. And so there's this loss of innocence. This, As I said before, um, in, in the first part of this episode, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, kind of takes away that childlike innocence. There's this childlike perspective um, that Adam and Eve have... Um, uh, that's not a. It's not like a. It's not um, immaturity. It's just. It's innocence. Yeah. Of childlike innocence, and now they've lost that, and they're conscious of this shame and this guilt. It's like so that yes, they know something now, but is it really worth knowing? Yeah. You know, is it really worth knowing that? It's like 
Satan's temptation, oh, then you'll know stuff that God knows. Well, now they know it, and it's really the fruit isn't as sweet as it was made out to be. And we go down the blame game. Adam straight away shifts the blame to well, his wife. Yeah. This is the abdication of responsibility. Yeah. What uh, The wife shifts it to, to the serpent. And I love the fact here that God doesn't address it. Like, God doesn't say to the serpent, what have you done? Yeah. He doesn't address him. Yeah. He, he, he just straight away says, okay, now because you have done this, Bang, you know, like yeah. he then he then pr- pr- he, he doesn't question the serpent. He proclaims a curse over the serpent. Yeah, gives a statement of what will happen in the future. Yeah, and then says to the woman, a man, what their the consequences. Here are it's the interesting. He doesn't curse the man and the woman. Doesn't no. curse them. He, no. the cursed, the curse is on the serpent. But going back to what you said, mm. uh, and this is where the abdication of responsibility. Now, mm. actually, we see this explicitly because. He calls the man to account. What, what, okay, what have you done? Give me account what's going on here. And the, the man says, uh, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid of it. He said to you, uh, um, blah, where is it saying? Verse 12. Yeah. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. So he blames the woman, but indirectly is also blaming God. So he is not taking responsibility. Then God turns to the woman and says, why have you done this? And then we see what the woman says, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then, so she's abdicating responsibility. She's blaming the serpent. Uh, and so there's this inversion that happens here. They're abdicating and we God's are, order of things. And we are thrust back into a world of chaos. Yeah, that's right. As in the responsibility, the authority, everything is turned upside down. The, basically, all that follows is a description of chaos. Mm. So um, the, uh, the the serpent is cursed, um, you know, on your belly you shall go. This doesn't mean that, uh, by the way, because the, the idea here is, is that of um, uh, this is in contrast to, it ra- to the raising of it, the head to, to strike, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. The serpent on its belly is, it's non-threatening. Well, yes. the one reared up is protecting or attacking. So we, yep. we shouldn't think of the servant as having previously walked on legs. It's not necessarily the case. Yep. Uh, instead, the curse combat, combats its aggressive nature. So, we, we get God's first prophetic utterance, yeah. his, his first look ahead through time to say, there will be enmity between you. There will, one day, through, through the offspring of this woman, he will crush your head and you will strike his yep. heel. Phenomenal. So, so this is this is unrest now. Mm. That this yes. en, this enmity now. Yes. Okay. So yes. between so now between man and man, uh, man mankind and mankind, there's going to yep. be this enmity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and, all, there are and these also forces but, in the world. We're, we've got this return to chaos now. And also between mankind and Satan's forces, the en- yeah, we right. have an enemy now. Yeah. In the world, we have abdicated our responsibility. And, and our authority in the world. So now we are at war because we've given him a place to be at war with yeah, us instead right. of standing up and saying, no, 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 God said. Yeah, that's right. You know. Exactly. And, and that, that enmity mm-hmm. or that, um, that uh, turmoil there mm-hmm. uh, even applies to human relationships, as it says. Yes. He then says um, to the uh, woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in uh, childbearing. Uh, or it's interesting conception there, and and the word pain often means uh, anxiety as well. There's this yeah. anxiety now associated uh, with birth. So it's not just talking about physical uh, pain labor. There. And in pain you shall bring forth, um, 
you should bring forth your husband. Um, so the, the idea here, see, the woman's desire, when it says in your desire will be for your husband it's, it's husband, it's not just talking about sexual desire. It includes an emotional or economic reliance on her husband now. Mm-hmm. Okay, So this is actually predicting inequality. Inequality between the sexes mm. and, and as a result of this dependence and whatever in this world of chaos now and threat mm. where might is right or might, you know the, well the man now she's going to need him and he's, her desire is going to be for him yeah. and as a result he's going to exploit that and he's going to rule over you so actually the whole the, all of the, the inequality between the sexes and the exploitation of women actually here is the result of the fall in chapter three yeah. of Genesis, it's not a in good cha- thing. It's in not- chapter three yeah, of Genesis, that's right. yeah, we already have so we it have all. the breakdown of. So we've got the the enmity, you know, this chaos um, within mankind here, and also even between man and the world around him as well. Yes. And that's, even and, that harmony is lost. And that, and 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 that's the. It's almost like the first harmony that we were given. Yeah. As 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 God's gardeners, as God's you know image bearers in the garden to do what He wanted us to do, that's the final thing that we lose. Yeah, you know, like the, the mankind gives up because of this. You've lost even that that I gave you. The very first yeah. thing, ground is now going to be hard. You're going to that's be right. sweating. You're going to have to work in a way that you never experienced before. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it, he curses the Satan, but he sorry curses. Well, actually, that's a correct way to say it because. Mm. The word Satan means adversary. Yeah. Uh, so the adversary. Yes. Um, uh, so he says that the other curse is on the ground. The ground is cursed. Mm. Now, in a sense, Adam had cursed the ground. You know, in in one sense, but yes. there is this curse on in the on the natural world. Mm. You know, one way of illustrating this is this idea of keystone species, uh, where, uh, in a sense, humanity. This is a way of illustrating this, uh, like a perfectly in a perfectly balanced ecosystem, you'll have a keystone species. And if that species is compromised, somehow the whole ecosystem yeah. is goes into turmoil. Mm. Um, well, there's a sense in which mankind is like this keystone species that falls mm. and then the whole environment goes chaotic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so this this is, as I said, this sets up, these chapters set up our worldview. 100%. Right? The world isn't, the, the world is in a state of chaos. It's not the way that, God created to be. I mean, people say, you know, when terrible things happen, they say, oh, there must be a reason for it. No, no. The world is not in a rational state. It's in a state of chaos, right? It's just bad. There are just things. Now, God works through the chaos and he works all things for the good of those who love him. But God is not the originator of this chaos. Mm. He created everything good and it was mankind who upset God's order, took these good things and put them in the wrong just messed up yeah. the, the perfect, uh, uh, the perfect order of God, and, and and set up a lifelong universal war. Yeah, between the enemy, Satan, That's right. and yeah. his forces, and mankind, almost almost lowering ourselves to a fight that God didn't ever want us to be a part That's of. That's right. Yeah, and and so from there we get the final verses here of of chapter three, and it's and it's a sense of hope. Mm. In one sense, you know, that, that the Lord God then takes an animal, and it's the first time we hear of a death of an animal, is him making these animal skins and clothing them. Yep. And and it's, you know, yep. it's beautiful. Well, uh, it's interesting on the, on the in, right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, finishing off the creation narrative, mm. it says that 
God、uh, finished making or creating. There was an end to that. God rested from his making or his creating. But there's one more thing that God is said to make in this. So again, we read of God making something.、Mm. Now, at the end, on the seventh day, it says that he finished all of his making. But there's one thing that's necessary now to make in the light of what God、uh, has done. It says here, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, that involves what? Killing of an animal. Kill, killing of an animal. So, for the first time, you get this introduction of, of sacrifice. I don't think any Jewish reader would,、yes. would see it、uh, like that. So, th- there's, there's a cost here. And it's that cost that's because the interesting thing when you take Genesis chapter 1 and the, the word create is used five times, the word made is used five times. So, you get <laughs> this beautiful set of 10, you know.、Yeah. And, but there's one more made that has、mm. to get added to that now. And, and this is. The making of essentially the making of this sacrifice. It's,、yeah. it's, the, it's the greatest act of creation of all, in a sense, and that's the making of a way、uh, for them, for their shame to be covered. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment here when the, the sacrifice of Christ is anti- anticipated. And it, and it is, if you cannot see Christ in the picture of chapter three, Especially in light of、mm. when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and、yeah. how he responds、yeah. to the same tactics that Satan、yeah. is still using and how he provides the clothing. Lastly, we are in the last few verses there. And he is, let me just interrupt you.、Yeah. And he, of course, is the seed of the woman who crushes the head、That's、of Satan. It's a culmination of that. He's right there. Yeah. yeah. So we are given the last few sort of like ca- characters here, a last little bit of a, an idea of into this world that we see the last few verses there, God having a Discussion within himself,、mm. saying, You know, this is, you know, man has now become like one of us. So, in, in that sense of saying, Yeah, that tree of knowledge of good and evil did open their yeah, eyes to,、right. yeah. to, to this worldview. He must not be allowed to eat the tree of life because he will live forever. So, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden.、Um, and then he also, we get introduced for the first time of the cherubim, the angels. We get re- introduced of God's ministers in chapter、yeah. three,、uh, you know, f- standing there. Keeping guard that they would not be allowed、yeah. back into the tree of life. That's right. <sighs> so we have the cherubim there with the flaming sword, you know, guarding the way. And, and a beautiful sort of conclusion to this、oh. is p- pictured in the tabernacle.、Mm. You know, behind the tabernacle is the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God. It's like, it really is kind of Eden, it's what they were shut out from. And, and on the curtain was woven these、yeah. cherubim. Yes. Because the temple symbolized how God was making a way back、yes. you know, to the, or- the tree of life, b- as bringing, it were. Bringing yeah. order. Yeah. And if you really want to get nerdy, if you、oh, really、yeah. want to go and pull out your calculator and start yeah, get yeah. the nerd on, look at the measurements、yeah. in the tabernacle. Look at、yeah. the commandments around the tabernacle, how God orders things in the、yeah. tabernacle, how the tribes are numbered and ordered yeah, around yeah. the tabernacle. Yeah. And it brings a picture of something bigger, greater, hearkening back to these opening chapters,、yeah. but also whispering as to something、yeah. greater that will happen in、That's、the future.、Right. You get the same numbers and the same. So, this is, it's like the, the temple is like meant to picture a mini cosmos、mm. that,、um, where you have this reversal 
of what has happened in Genesis chapter 3. Mm. It's this pathway back through the sacrifice, this pathway back uh, through the curtain represented by the high priest. And of course, we know when Jesus died, the curtain was split from top to bottom mm. uh, so that the way was made open. So the way past the cherubim has been made through Jesus Christ. The themes are evident, the patterns are clear as we begin these first few chapters of the book of Genesis. You're going to keep on hearing about order and chaos, our responsibility and what God is doing to redeem mankind back to himself. It's exciting times. I cannot wait to get further into this book. We've got so much to cover. Now, I wanted to let you know if you are reading along with the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, you'll notice that Matt and I are not exactly sticking to plan. You're going to be racing ahead in the guide and we're going to be lagging behind just because there is so much to cover in these first few chapters in Genesis. This is a lot to set up and we're doing it as fast as we can. All right, so keep on reading. Keep those questions coming. Head over to thrivetoday.net.au. You can ask the questions there. And while you're there, make sure you check out our partnership with prison chaplains. That's right. You can get copies of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide into prisons, both men and women and young people as well. It's all there at thrivetoday.net.au. We have got so much more to get through in the book of Genesis. Next week, we hope to get up to Noah and the flood. Keep on listening to find out. I'll see you over at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next week, we'll see you then. for listening to another episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ would love to hear your questions and comments about what you are reading in God's Word and in Thrive. The easiest way to do that is to head over to thrivetoday.net.au Thrive Deeper is on Facebook. Just search and like Thrive Today page for all our latest news. Until next week, our prayer is that this podcast will inspire you to read God's Word and thrive.